Right, YouTube, today I've got three stories for you and they all have a similar theme. They are men who interfere with the lives of their ex-partners and then a murder happens. Now, there is a word to describe these three men, but I can't say it on YouTube. But to me, they're a bunch of see you next Tuesdays. However, I'll refer to them as wankers. Now, I've got the case files to all the stories and we're going to start with the wanker number one, Min Nguyen. I couldn't get his interrogation footage, but like I said, I do have his case file. So let's take an in-depth look into what happened. Now on January the 15th, 2015, police were called to a residence in Ashburn, Virginia, where Corey Mattison was shot and killed. The suspect was 39-year-old Min Nguyen. His ex-wife, Denise Mattison, was also struck with a pistol, but she survived. Nguyen was in a rage when he banged on the door of Corey and Denise Mattison's Ashburn townhouse and demanded entry. He was carrying a 380 caliber Taurus semi-automatic pistol and fired one shot before pushing through the door. He then fired the remaining rounds in the pistol, shooting Corey four times. Now Corey was able to exit the home before falling on the driveway. Nguyen followed him striking his former wife in the head with the butt of the gun as he passed her in the garage. See Nguyen showed up at the townhouse about 8pm and asked to see the children, his children that he had with Denise. Now this story can be dated back to around 2010 when Min and Denise separated and in 2011 they got divorced. Bra looked into Nguyen's psych evaluation and well, we need to look back at his childhood. His family was sponsored by Colonel John Zorak for entry and securing their citizenship into the United States. This is pertinent because Colonel Zorak testified on behalf of Nguyen during the trial. He stated that Nguyen was the smallest of his siblings and suffered significant physical and emotional abuse from his brothers and his mother. A sense of frustration and abandonment permeated his childhood as the result of the voluntary absence of his father. His father moved back to Vietnam when Nguyen was a teenager. Nguyen himself then moved to California after his divorce from Denise. The psychiatrist in the report said that prolonged suffering of living without his father as a child was something he was committed to avoid with his own children and this is why he returned to Virginia. And this is where the divorce gets a little more interesting. See, during the proceedings, Nguyen requested that the children were not permitted to be alone with a third party. Now let's break this down. He's essentially, he's saying, I don't want my children with another man. I don't want another man to raise my children. And it's probably because his pride and his ego and, you know, I guess, to put it simply, no man wants another man raising his children. Just logically, you know what I'm saying, from a man's ego point of view, right? Nguyen believed there were to be no exceptions to this third party rule, including their grandparents and their stepfather, Corey Mattison. Nguyen believed he had the right as a father to not permit Corey to be alone with his children. And just to be clear, by the time this custody agreement was settled, Corey and Denise had already gotten married. Nguyen himself had little accomplishment in the technical world. In his own words, his only accomplishment was being a father of three. He felt threatened by Corey. See, Nguyen was only five foot seven and didn't have much going for him post-divorce. 
Corey, however, was six foot six and had possession of everything Newen ever had. His kids. Those are his words, by the way, not mine. Now, back in 2006, Newen had been taking medication for various issues, including ADHD. He also took medications for concussion symptoms, mood disorder, depression, and manic episodes. During the 2013 Christmas season, which was a year and some change before the incident, Denise expressed concerns that Newen was suffering from bipolar disorder and that he may need a higher level of psychiatric care than he was currently receiving from his family practice. Soon after, Newen, by himself, went and admitted himself into the Loudoun County Mental Health Office. He was still seeing a psychiatrist at the time of the incident in January 2015. Now, onto the day of the incident, January 2015, Newen, he received a new dose of medication. It was for generic Adderall, now he cut the capsule in half and took his first pill at around 4pm that day. The first dose was cut in half because he was concerned about the possible side effects of a full dose of new medication. He described himself as feeling wired after taking this dose of pill. He then began to start calling Denise repeatedly so he could say goodnight to the children. When he did not get an answer, he went down to the residence so he could say goodnight. He was told he isn't welcome and couldn't enter the home. Now his oldest daughter Madison, she was actually at basketball practice at her school when he got to the house. So he thought, okay, well, let me go pick her up from school. His intent was to bring Madison back home after practice as his other two children were at home and in bed for the night. But... According to Nguyen, because he believed in his head that they had an agreement that, that nobody, no third party could be alone with the children, he expected his ex-wife, Denise, to wake up the kids and bring the kids with her to go and pick Madison up from school. Because of course, if she comes alone, then Corey is alone with the children. You understand he's thinking here now, right? I know, it's absurd. And this is the moment their lives change forever. You see, as he's picking up Madison, he goes outside and he sees Denise's van and he realizes, well, if Denise is here, Corey's at home with them. And this is when he snaps. After the shooting and after Denise arrived at the townhouse, Nguyen jumped into her van and drove his vehicle round and round and hit Corey's car, hoping Corey wouldn't get away. So just to confirm, he shoots Corey Corey tries to get away, he's holding his arm or something and he's limping, he ends up on the driveway. And Nguyen is in the car trying to stop him from escaping. Nguyen then gets out the car, he starts yelling at Corey, starts hitting him with his fists, then shoots him and kills him. This is his official criminal complaint. And here is his charge sheet, which includes first degree murder. And eventually he is sentenced to life in prison. So why did this happen? It's pretty clear. Nguyen felt threatened by Corey. He was jealous. He was jealous that everything he had was now handed to Corey, so to speak. And I know the five foot seven and the six foot six. That sounds kind of tedious. It sounds um, kind of lame to Nguyen, as if like I'm trying to put him down. But as a man, I can understand why he feels threatened by Corey. Corey, this big, massive dude who now has his ex-wife. Nguyen can't fight him physically, can't match him financially. He can't 
take his wife back emotionally because they she doesn't feel for him for what she once did he's in psychiatric care he's on medication he has nothing and Corey has everything this is all in the head of Nguyen but at the end of the day this is all Nguyen's fault he is largely to blame on why the marriage didn't work out it doesn't matter what the situation is it takes two to tango right if your ex-wife doesn't want to be with you anymore there are certain character flaws you have that are so unbearable that a woman cannot overlook them because women of course overlook a lot of us men's character flaws right and us men we do it to women that's how relationships work but none of this was worth killing over so as i said wank ah now we move on to wanker number two brahio castillo and again i have his case files over here now brahio and his victim michelle castillo were married and lived in virginia they had four children the couple were separated by march 2013. now at the time michelle was granted a protective order from brahio the image you're seeing now is proof of that order this order required Brahio to refrain from committing further acts of family abuse. This order also gave Michelle custody of the children and possession of the marital residence. So in a way, you can kind of already see a motive, so to speak. And by the way, his name is spent Braulio, but I think the pronunciation is Brahio. Forgive me for being a Muppet. Brahio was allowed to see the children for dinner on Wednesday night. And on every other weekend but wasn't allowed in the house now it was around two to four weeks after this order that michelle filed for divorce and it was described as hotly contested michelle requested spousal and child support michelle's lawyer during the trial testified he believed michelle was eligible for a combined total of 14 to twenty thousand dollars a month Wow. Now on March the 14th, 2014, both parties appeared in court and Michelle seemed to be in good spirits. The following day, Michelle, who trained as a triathlete, ran a marathon and qualified for the Boston Marathon. Michelle planned to compete in an Ironman competition in the month of November 2014. On the evening of March the 19th, 2014, Michelle met several members of her triathlon team at a restaurant. She seemed happy that she qualified for the marathon and then she left to pick up her children from visitation with Brahio. The children were visiting him and at dinner at his house, which was around a thousand yards away from Michelle's home. Lucy Guentes, who is Michelle's sister, was also at the dinner. She left Michelle's home at 8 p.m and drove the children to meet Michelle at a grocery store a few miles away. Now security footage from a neighbor's home showed a male jogger arriving at Michelle's home and walking up the drive about 10 minutes before Michelle arrived. Although the jogger's face is unidentifiable from the video, Nicholas Castillo and David and Stephanie Mika, who are friends of the Castillos, identified the jogger as Brahio based on his unusual gait. The following morning, the children woke up and their mother was missing. At 7am, Brahio knocked on the door of Michelle's neighbour and told him that Michelle was missing. The neighbour told police Brahio was wearing sunglasses and he appeared to have a gash around his eye. 
Brahio and the neighbor enter Michelle's home. Brahio refused to call 911 and said he had to take the kids to school. Brahio leaves with the kids, takes them to school. Meanwhile, the neighbor in Michelle's house calls the police and tells them Michelle is missing. Police arrive. They search the basement and they discover Michelle hanging from a shower head in the bathroom. The police then call Brahio and told him they need to speak with him regarding Michelle. Brahio told them he was taking care of his son and would call them back. The police then drove to his house and they told him Michelle is dead. Brahio showed no emotion. He didn't ask any questions. The police noticed Brahio had a black eye and a fresh scrape under his eye. The medical examiner testified that the manner in which the victim died was inconsistent with suicide, which to police, that's how it looked. The medical examiner found multiple bruises and abrasions on the victim's body and stated these bruises were very unusual in suicide cases. The police then theorized that Michelle died as a result of suffocation and strangulation, involving elements of both manual and ligature strangulation. The Department of Forensic Science analyzed bloodstains found on the victim's bed linens, as well as the sweatshirt she was wearing, and identified the presence of Brahio's DNA. The day after the victim's body was discovered, Brahio called his dentist to report he had a broken braces bracket and to schedule an appointment to repair it. The dentist testified during the trial that to break these brackets, there would have to be an external force onto the tooth or the bracket itself. One of the children, who was 11 at the time, testified that Brahio asked them for the passcode to the home's security system a few months before this crime took place. Now what's interesting, eight days after Michelle's death, Brahio filed to have their divorce dissolved. Having survived Michelle, Brahio became the sole owner of the marital estate, which was worth around $3 million. But on June the 20th, 2016, a jury found him guilty of first degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. What you see now are post-it notes left from the window of the bathroom, suggesting Michelle left a suicide note of some sort. Now going to the case file, it was unclear on what his motive was. My guess would be is he just couldn't afford the child support payments and he was pissed off that his wife got everything, right? She's in great shape. She can have any man she wants. She may even get fame by being this potential athlete, whereas him is all by himself. He's got a bit of money, but he doesn't have that much money and he's left with nothing. So maybe he took her life out of anger. Either way, the body of Michelle Castillo. It initially appeared as though she had taken her life, but investigators determined this mother of five had been murdered, they believe, by her estranged husband, Braulio Castillo. During their contentious divorce, authorities say the victim had taken out a protective order on her husband. Finally, we move on to wanker number three. And again, I've got his case file over here, but this is, this one is just sad. Like, you know, when you read a crime and you think, idiot, wanker, moron, muppet. When I was reading this, I just thought, this is just so sad. On the morning of March the 11th, 2014, Kelvin Ford and his wife left their home in Baltimore, Maryland to go to Ruby's sister's home in Ashburn, Virginia. Miss Ford had arranged to meet her sister in Ashburn and then together 
Ruby and her sister were to fly from a nearby airport to Jamaica to celebrate Ruby's birthday and visit family. Instead of driving his wife to her sister's home, Kelvin Ford drove her to a remote and secluded cul-de-sac in northern Loudoun County where he shot her at least twice with a handgun. What you are looking at now are the official photographs of the car, again from the case file. This image here is the official photo of the bullet and the damage in which it left in the car. After the shooting, officials say Ford called 911, reported a shooting and then hung up. When police arrived, officials say they found Ruby's body in the passenger's seat and Ford was sitting on the ground nearby. Now according to the case file, it's kind of hard to understand a motive, but there was a letter I found that was written to the judge by one of his children. This letter said that the family faced financial difficulty post the 2008 crisis. Their rent increased and then their mum lost her job. Their mum, Ruby Ford, the victim, found a job soon after but then Kelvin lost his grandmother. Now in this letter, the son or daughter of Kelvin, it says, I understand that with the first degree murder conviction, the court believes his action was conscious and premeditated. I believe that my father did not take premeditated action, rather he reacted in a fit of passion unconsciously driven by his mental and emotional inability to cope with the crumbling world around him. My mother leaving him was the string that unraveled the entire cloth. So you can see based on that, one of the reasons why he may have snapped is because Ruby didn't want him anymore. The letter goes on to say, it says that I, I as in the person writing it, became engaged and his parents bought him and his new fiance a car and clothes and then Kelvin lost his job again and their finances became depleted again. Their father eventually moved to New York and the parents filed for divorce. And that's about as far as the motive goes. According to the case file, Kelvin did not tell the police what his motive was. He was eventually sentenced to 35 years in prison. And the reason why I say that one is just sad is because it was just a man where everything seemed to have gone wrong for him and then he did the worst thing possible. He's still a wanker, there's no excusing what he did, but I feel like his actions were less sinister than the previous two stories I mentioned, which is crazy because they all did the same thing in different circumstances. As I said, all three of them are a bunch of see you next Tuesdays. But as a man, I've gone through difficulties myself. For some of you that know, I have been divorced. I've never once ever caused any physical harm to any woman I've ever known. I've never sworn at a woman. Okay, that's a lie. I have once. But I have principles as a man. I never swear at women. I never physically assault women. I try not to raise my voice at women. And it's my job as a man to diffuse and remain calm. This is of course easier said than done. But that is what separates the men from the boys. You only learn this in life as a man through experience. So when I was in my early 20s, of course, I was learning all of this. I didn't know this at the time. You're young and you're naive. But all three of these men were 40 and older. So there's no excuse regarding their experience or mental processes. I know in the case of Nguyen, he was on medication and all that kind of stuff. I cannot account for that. 
because I've never really been on any kind of medication, you know, regarding my mental health. But I think with him, it was just a lack of confidence. He was just a pussy, plain and simple. Brahio was an even bigger pussy because he just hated his wife and the wonderful life she had. And Kelvin was just a man down on his luck. All three of them wankers.